Colossians chapter number 1 this evening, and I'd like to begin reading at verse number 16. The Bible says, For by Him, now this is speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this time You've allowed us tonight. I pray that You'd speak to hearts in a way that glorify Your Son. Father, help us to be surrendered uh, to the working of the Holy Spirit and to the truths of Your Word this evening. We'll be sure to thank You for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm very interested in that word that's used, the word preeminence. Uh, could I say to you tonight, and I've touched on this thought before, but I think it's just one of them thoughts that bears repeating over and over and over again, that there is a vast difference between Christ being prominent in your life and Christ being preeminent in your life. There's many believers this day that we live in uh, that Christ is prominent in their life. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Uh, well, if you're around them, uh, they'll tell you they're a Christian. Uh, they own a Bible. They might even let you see them carrying that Bible occasionally. Uh, when they're out in public, they may ask the Lord to bless the food that they're about to receive uh, to the nourishment of their bodies. Uh, they may mention to you that they go to church. They may even be uh, very active in their church. But do you know that you can have all those things and be all those things and still rob Christ of His rightful place of preeminence in your heart and life? You see, to be prominent means to be, uh, to have a focus upon, to be important, to be placed in a place of importance. But preeminence denotes the idea of the most important, the most prominent. It is a place of exclusivity that the Savior is to uh, uphold and is to occupy in our lives. Can I ask you tonight, and I hope that you'll be honest with yourself, is Jesus Christ really the most important thing to you? Now stop and think about it before you answer it in your heart. Uh, because I know if I asked for a raise of hands, we'd probably all raise our hands. Uh, if we didn't, we'd feel bad, amen? But the truth of the matter is, our life bears out whether He has the preeminence in our everyday lives. Our, uh, our actions, our behavior, the trends of our life will tell us whether Jesus Christ really occupies that place of chiefest importance. In the passage that we have before us here, I'll go ahead and tell you that there's a lot of doctrinal and theological truths. I love the Word of God for its doctrine and for its theological truths. But tonight, I don't want us to focus exclusively on those. But rather, I want us to take each of these statements made about Jesus Christ and apply it to our lives and ask ourselves if Jesus Christ occupies the same place in our lives as He does in God's heart. Notice the things that are said. And I'll give you four things very quickly this evening. We're going to eat, and I think we got sandwich stuff ready. And I don't want a, a mob or a stampede or a mutiny, so I'm going to try to preach quick to you this evening. I want you to notice the very first phrase that's used. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, For by Him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, 
powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Could I say that as far as this world is concerned, as far as creation is concerned, as far as any and everything is concerned that is righteous, that is of God, that Jesus Christ is the fountain of all those things. He is the headwater. He is the source of creation. He is the source of righteousness. He is the source of redemption. The Bible says that all things were created by Him. We could talk about that truth. In fact, let's talk about it for a moment. Do you know that the Bible says that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God? Do you know that the Bible tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? Do you understand that when God created this world, He did it through the expression of His thoughts and through His Word? He said, let there be. Jesus Christ is the very fountain from which all creation has come forth. Now, we're going to talk here in a moment about the importance of that today in the world that we live in. Uh, But I think we ought to just take a moment and praise Him for all that He's done, for all of His glory, for all of His majesty, for all of His power. We look around at this vast world that we live in. We look up into stars that we cannot count. We look down into grains of sand that we cannot number. We look at all the beauty and all the majesty, all the splendor of creation. Listen, I'm not advocating that we worship creation. Uh, The world worships creation rather than the Creator. Uh, But I am saying that we can see the signature of the Creator in creation. Anybody that can look at this world and say that it happened by chance is short a few. Amen? I mean, it just don't make sense. You can see design and intelligence all over this world because there is an intelligent God that has created it. And He's done so through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the fountain of everything. Now, let me ask you this. If He holds that place of preeminence in your life, shouldn't He be the fountain of everything in our lives as well? Listen, if you're born again tonight, uh, then for all practical intents and purposes, your life began when you got up off your knees, a saved child of God. That's the beginning point to your history. And do you know that Jesus Christ ought to be the basis, ought to be the source, ought to be the foundation for everything that we do in life? The Bible says we're to do all things to the glory of God. Uh, There's a lot of things we'd cut out of our life if we just ask ourselves if we can really do it to the glory of God. Uh, Can we complain to the glory of God? Can we bicker to the glory of God? Can we gossip to the glory of God? Can we backbite to the glory of God? Can we be lazy in our Christian walk to the glory of God? I don't think we can do any of those things, do you? But the truth of the matter is, everything that's good, everything that's righteous, the source of it ought to be our love for Christ and our devotion for Him. Why do you do what you do? We preached on it last Sunday night. Why do you do what you do? What is the thing that drives you to serve God, to be found in the house of God? What is the fountain of your life, of your passions, of your ambitions? Your life began when you called upon Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to redeem you from your sins. But not only that, everything that we do. Uh, The Bible speaks over and over again about the will of God, being found in the will of God, seeking the will of God, knowing the will of God. Do you know that the will of God ought to be the source and driving influence for every decision that we make. 
Uh, some of you, uh, you're facing life decisions. I know you are because life goes on and there's decisions that must be made. Uh, maybe it's decisions about your marriage, about your relationship. Maybe it's decisions about your job, decisions about your kids, decisions about your parents. Whatever it might be, the very source to which we need to go to find the truth and the guidance for those moments, we need to go back to the fountain. We need to go to that fountain of truth and knowledge. We need to go back to the Word of God and to the truth of God expressed through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'd say that if he's a preeminent in your life, he ought to be the fountain. But I want to give you a second thing. Look at the next phrase that's used. It says in verse 17, and he is before all things. There's two ways we can take that, and both of them are true. One way that we can take that is to say that chronologically he is before all things, that he existed before all things. And let me say that he did exist before all things. Uh, there was never a moment when the Son of God came into existence. He's always existed. The Bible gives us three beginnings in the Word of God. We've been studying through it some in First John on Wednesday nights. Three beginnings. Uh, there is the beginning of the age of grace or of the gospel. And that's what John speaks about in First John when he says that which was from the beginning. Uh, there's the beginning of creation in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And then there's that other creation. Uh, that other beginning, uh, rather. The beginning before creation. The beginning not of an action, but the beginning uh, of our perception of His existence. He always existed. It doesn't say that in the beginning the Word became. It says in the beginning the Word was. He's always existed. He's always been. So I would say that chronologically that's true. But isn't it sort of redundant if God is expressing that truth to us? Because He just got through saying, for by Him were all things created. So it's evident that he was before all things chronologically. No, I think there is another truth that's being conveyed to us here. And that is not in the sense of chronology, but in the sense of importance. Could I say to you tonight that everything is about Jesus Christ in God's economy? Everything. doesn't matter what it is, it's about Jesus Christ. You may say, well, you know, I thought it was about the Word of God. Well, I've got you there because John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. You see, the Son of God and the Scriptures of God are one and the same in nature. And they never contradict, and they're both, hey, they're both perfect, they're both sinless. This isn't what I'm preaching on tonight, but this is how the Lord's leading, so I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, if I can expect that my Savior could bear and become all the sin of the world without it tainting Him, why wouldn't I believe that God could preserve His Word? I didn't know, I, didn't, I, I, I thought maybe there was something going on back there. Because I felt like everybody just looked through me when I said that. If, if Christ can bear our sin and become our sin on Calvary, all the sin of humanity of all time cannot taint His righteous nature. And why would we have trouble if God can preserve the Son of God? Why would we have trouble believing He can preserve the Scripture of God? The thing that I always hear people say is this. They always say, well, you know, yeah, God gave it. Uh, you know, it was inspired in the originals is what they say. Even though nobody's ever seen the originals, even though they don't have any copies of the originals, they, you know, they'll say, well, in the originals it was inspired. But then man has corrupted it. Uh, my God said in the book of Psalms that he would preserve his word against this wicked generation. I have no doubt believing that God's able to preserve his word. And so uh, when we say it's about the Word of God, we're really saying it's about Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us that all judgment is committed unto the Son, that all power and glory is delivered up unto Him. I'm saying this, that in God's economy, everything comes down to Jesus Christ. 
So you know what? In your life and in my life, everything ought to come down to Jesus Christ. He ought to be literally the most important thing in our entire life. Let me ask you something. When you have a decision to make, whose wishes do you consider first? Your own? Your spouse's? If it's like most homes in America today, you consider the kids' wishes before anything. Whose wishes do you think of first? Do you think of what people are going to say, what they're going to think? Do you think of how it might affect your job or how it might affect your social standing? Can I say that if Jesus Christ has the preeminence in your life before you consider anything else, the first thought that would enter your mind is to say, how does God feel about this? There's a lot of things in our life that don't matter anything in eternity that we're making the prominent and preeminent thing. Let me tell you something. There's not a thing. They've never, I've never seen a hearse with a luggage rack or pulling a U-Haul. And yet you'll find people day in and day out that will work themselves to death trying to get that bigger paycheck and that better job. People that will... Oh, man, this ain't... My parents used to always say to me, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. And that wasn't true when they said it. But let me just say this isn't no easier on me than it is on you. There's a lot of folks that say Jesus is the most important thing that ought to be in the house of God and instead they're at their jobs. I'm just telling you the truth now. You You can crucify me if you want. But that's the truth and the sheer reality of the matter. Lots of folks that say that Jesus Christ is the most important thing to them. And when church time comes around, uh, they're out at the t-ball fields with their kids, at the softball fields. Uh, They're out at the soccer fields. They're at the dance competitions. And they say that Jesus Christ is the most important thing to them. Well, you know what the Bible says about the church, that Christ loved it and gave himself for it. I kind of believe if we love him, we'll love the church. Lots of folks that say Jesus Christ is the most important thing to them. And then uh, uh, about the time that Saturday night comes around, they take that Bible that they haven't even touched all week long and they wipe the dust off of it and get it ready to carry in like they're somebody on Sunday morning. I'm saying this, uh, that if you really put him in that place of preeminence in your life, he'll be more important than anything. Anything. You'll have time for him. You'll have time for him before you'll have time for anything else if he's preeminent. You'll have money to give to him. Now, listen, I, I, and I'm be honest with you, and I, our visitors can know it don't bother me. The Bible says do all things open and honest for all men. God's been good. God's blessed our church. Our people have been given. And I bless his holy name for it. That's wonderful. But I'm just simply saying this. Uh, we'll, make, we'll make a way in that budget to give to him if he's preeminent in our life. He won't get to spare change. He'll get to first fruits. Isn't that right? I mean, if he's really important to us, we'll make a way. Uh, It's always been said before, where there's a will, there's a way. Don't you believe that's true? So that tells me if people can't find a way, they don't have the will to do it. He's before all things as far as God's concerned. Where does he rank in our level of priorities? Listen, and and I promise you, I don't mean this with a bad or mean spirit. But I have heard people uh, the whole time I've pastored, long before I've pastored, always talk about, oh, preacher, I'd love to do more for God. Oh, I'd love to do more. Oh, I'd love to be there more. Oh, I'd love to give more. Oh, I'd love to tell people more. Oh, I'd love to do this and I'd love to do that. And all they're doing is talking, just talking, talking, talking. Because at the end of the day, it's up to us what we do with our lives. Isn't that right? It's up to us what we do with our lives. If we want something bad enough, we'll make a way. We'll make a way for it. See, the problem is he may be prominent, but he's not preeminent. 
He may be important in our life. He's not the important thing in our life. He's not most important in our life. I know this isn't popular, but it's Bible tonight. He's not the most important thing in our lives. And then we say, oh, well, I don't know why my life wound up a wreck. I don't know what happened with my marriage. I don't know what happened with my kids. I'll tell you right now, if you make anything other than Jesus Christ the preeminent thing in your life, and you're a Christian, you have sealed your own destruction. He's got to occupy that place. We see that not only is he the fountain, he's the first. But I want you to notice the third thing. I like this. This interests me. It says, and by him all things consist. You know the word I think of when I hear that word consist? The word glue. That's literally what that word consist means. It means all things are held together. What is it that keeps this world spinning the way it does, in orbit the way that it does? What is it that keeps this world uh, functioning in the way that it does? You ever thought about, and uh, we could talk about all the scientific aspects of it, and there's plenty of them. They say if we were just an inch or two uh, closer or further away from the sun, we'd either freeze to death or burn up one. What is it that keeps this world uh, together and consisting and spinning and turning and consistent the way that it is? What is it? Well, I told you a second ago we'd talk about this. The Bible says that the the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that means that as long as the Word of God is true, you listening to me? As long as the Word of God is true, nothing natural, that means global warming, Mr. Gore, nothing natural is going to destroy this world. God made a promise that seed time and harvest, they'd continue. You say, you don't believe in global warming? Well, yeah, I do. I just, me and Mr. Gore have a difference of opinion as to when and how it's going to happen. The Bible says that the elements shall melt with fervent heat. I don't think it's going to be because of my air conditioner or pickup truck. I think it's going to be because of the judgment and wrath of God. I do believe it's going to happen. I do believe it's going to happen. But it won't be through any natural means. You see, the foundation for the created world is the Word of God. And as long as it holds true, uh, nothing can happen to this world outside of what God dictates and determines should happen to this world. It's His creation. Uh, I've given this example before. You can uh, take a building and you can build it uh, 50, 60, 100, 200 stories high, and it can be solid, and it can have the best steel in it. It can have the uh, absolute best structure to it. But if the foundation goes, it all goes. Well, what's the foundation? The foundation is the Word of God. By Him all things consist. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with me? Let me ask you what the foundation of your life is. Let me ask you this question. I want you to ponder it honestly. If the Holy Ghost left your life today, how long would it take you to notice? If He left your life today, how long would it take you to notice? Has he been grieved and quenched for so long? Have you silenced him for so long that if he walked out and left, you, it'd take you three, four days to even notice? I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of churches that God walked out of 20, 30 years ago. They weren't even aware of it. There's a lot of belief. There's a lot, you know, a lot of times it just takes time for it to catch up. You know that a marriage has to be founded upon Jesus Christ? And there's a lot of folks uh, that when they're sitting there... Things didn't all go bad the moment they're sitting there getting ready to sign papers. That's not when it all happened. 
It happened many moons ago when they kicked Christ out of their marriage. And it became about the games, and it became about the fuss, and it became about the fighting. And then eventually it became about just leaving each other alone and, uh, you know, cohabitating. They kicked Christ out of the thing. They kicked the foundation out. And it may have taken a little while, but pretty soon the storms came, washed the uh, dirt around that marriage out, and eventually she fell and collapsed. How long would it take us? If Listen, if they took her Bibles away today, how long would it take you to start missing it? He ought to be the foundation. We ought to, I mean, I, I, I want to be the kind of Christian that when I miss the house of God, I get withdrawals. Amen? I want to be the kind of Christian that whenever I reach for my nightstand, I might be grabbing a pistol or I might be grabbing my Bible, but either of them will be there. Amen? I want to be the kind of Christian that God, uh, if His presence does not go with me in a effectual and experiential way. Some of you said, well, He said He'd never leave me nor forsake me. That's absolutely true. But can I say there is a sense in which the experiential presence of God can depart from a believer's life. If you've ever been there, then you know what I'm talking about. I want to be the kind of Christian that can't even function without having God's presence in my life. He ought to be the foundation. If He's preeminent in your life, He will be the foundation. He won't be an afterthought. He won't be a take it or leave it. That's part of the generation we live in today, is this take it or leave it Christianity, this buffet-style Christianity. Uh, They try to define God on their own terms, and then they wonder why He don't show up when they need Him. Same reason that in the Old Testament those gods of wood and stone and silver and gold didn't show up uh, when those pagan nations needed them. They were the work of their own hands. They weren't anything eternal. Uh, In fact, the book of Isaiah puts it very vividly uh, that those uh, gods that they had created to carry them whenever they were marched out of their nation, they were carrying their own gods and they'd become a burden to them because there was no eternal reality to them. No, that's the kind of God that's in a lot of Christians' lives. That's not the kind of God I want. That's not the kind of relationship I want with Him. I want want my relationship with God to be so real that if He left me for a moment, I'd know it. I I want my prayer life to be so vital that the devil can't lure me away from it. God help. I'm telling you my own soul right now. That's my heart's desire. God help us to get to the place where the prayer closet is so vital to us that sleep can't tempt us away from it, uh, that distractions can't drag us from its doorstep, uh, that all uh, of the enemies uh, from hell couldn't drag us from the horns of God's altar. That's the kind of hunger and desire we need for God. It needs to be that vital to our lives. He ought to be the foundation. I want to give you one final thing, and I'll hush. Look at the last phrase that's used here. Look at verse number 18. The Bible says, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Notice again that first phrase, And He is the head of the body. I think if Christ is preeminent, then in your life He's going to be the fountain. He'll be the source of your decisions, of your aspirations, of your passions and desires. I think He's going to be the first. I think you'll care more about what God thinks uh, than what anyone thinks. I I believe He ought to be the foundation. He ought to be so vital to your life that you can't go a day without sweet communion with Him. But I think finally He ought to be the final authority in our life. What does it say? He is the head of of the body, the church. Now, you say, well, you know, preacher, 
That's talking about ecclesiastical structure and government. I agree with you. I agree. That's part of the reason I'm an independent Baptist, because I don't think anybody's the head of the body except Jesus Christ. I don't think the Pope is. I don't think a denominational leader is. I don't think that a convention head is. I think Jesus Christ is the head of the body. I think the pastor's the under-shepherd. I think the church is the body. And I think he's the head. And I think that's biblical. And I think that's the way God instructed it. And I think that's the only way God can bless it. But can I say to you that this applies to more than just the church at large. I think it gives us a truth about your life and mine. That just as he is the head of the body... He ought to be the head of this body. He ought to be the leader. He ought to be the final authority. I won't labor this point because I feel like it loses its potency in laboring it. But I would just ask you this. Who is it that gets the final say in what goes on in your life? I remember being a teenager and having that desire to grow up so no one could tell me what to do. Don't tell these teenagers that when they grow up, there's just more people to tell them what to do. They'd never grow up. That's the reality of it. I remember having that desire. But then I remember the liberty that came to my heart and soul when I realized that freedom is not found in a life without boundaries, without authority. Liberty is found when your authority is given and relinquished to Jesus Christ. That's where liberty's found. If the Son shall make you free, you're free indeed. Who has that authority in your life? Every one of us would say Jesus does. I know we would because we're good Baptists and we lie when we have to. Amen? We'd all say that. We'd all say, yeah, Jesus has the authority. But has He been wrestling with you about something? And you've been fighting Him on it? Has He convicted you about something in your life? And you've been arguing with Him? Uh, if you ever want to find Baptists arguing with the Lord, just show up on Sunday at invitation time. That's when we all start to argue with the Lord. The Lord says, oh, yeah, you need to get this right. You need to get that right. And, you know, all through the service, you know, we're, we're rejoicing and worshiping because we think the Lord's talking about that guy or that lady right there. Then the invitation time comes and the Lord says, no, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. And we say, oh, Lord, <laughs> no, I don't need that in my life. No, Lord, everything's all right here. We begin to wrestle with him. When you put him on his throne, he'll have the authority of a king. When you put him on his throne in your heart, he'll have the authority of a king over your life. A lot of discussion and argument about lordship, salvation. And let me just say this, that I I don't believe a sinner understands everything the Christian life means when they get saved. I didn't at least. By the same token, I don't believe anybody comes to Jesus Christ uh, just wanting the slate wiped clean and not wanting Him and walks away saved. But let me just say that every time the Word of God talks about calling on the name of Jesus Christ, it never says call on Jesus Christ. It says call on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's a lot of debate about whether we make Him Lord or whether we don't make Him Lord. And I just invite you to keep this in mind, that whether we make Him Lord or not, He is Lord. He is Lord. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. He is Lord tonight. The question is whether we're willing to take our rightful place 
at his feet. Whether we're willing to take whatever that is and give it up to the Lord and say, Lord, you can have it. You can have it because you're my final authority, God. You're the preeminent one in my life. Lord, if you don't want me to have it, I may not understand it. I may not like it. I learned a long time ago. Listen, I learned a long time ago that I'm not going to like everything that God wants me to do. But it's not about whether I like it or not. It's about what He wants out of my life. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness, not for my joy's sake, but for His name's sake. You may say, Lord, I don't like that. That doesn't need to be the discussion. The discussion needs to be, is He Lord or not? Is He Lord or not? Is He the final authority in your life? Lots of folks talking about Jesus, but very few have made Him preeminent in their life. Lots of folks that He's prominent for. I I bet you that a lot of folks in this room, He's prominent in your life. But are you willing to take that step and make Him preeminent? Are you willing to take that step and put Him in His rightful place? And deliver up everything over to Him and say, Lord, I belong to You. And I'll give You exactly what You paid for on Calvary. Lord, You bought every bit of me. And God, I've come to give You what You've asked for.